Hello, welcome to the Health In Show, an affiliate program of Homeopathy World Community. You've come to the right place to tune in and participate with your comments and questions. Love is the greatest healer of all. But sometimes, in order to change our emotions, we must take action in other spheres of our lives. We speak with experts in alternative and complementary health fields and hope you will benefit in some small or great way. Remember, you are wherever your thoughts are. Make sure your thoughts are where you want to be. Welcome to the Health Inc. Show. My name is Marilyn Shannon, and we have the perfect show for today, no matter where you are in this world. And I'm really excited, and I'm kind of, I was taken back a second listening to Debbie's voice, which, of course, we listen to like that every month when we do the Health Inc. Show. And many of you know Debbie Brugglis is the founder of Homeopathy World Community and did the show for many years, and I listened to her her voice each and every month and obviously I get a little emotional but you know her presence and her communicating about love is all I mean that's part of what we're going to talk about today being valentines wherever you are in this world so I'm really excited and I'm going to say good morning or hello where what time is it in uh, India today Deepak yeah hello yeah. Elaine uh, hey what yes, time is it huh yes uh, you are all good, and thank you so much for introducing Health In. And yes, Health In was started in 2012. Initially, we uh, did the show every week on every Monday at the same time. But uh, yes, homeopathy world community are uh, the world best community of the professional homeopaths. Uh, so we welcome to, to the both a speaker of the day, and the topic is really wonderful and the need of the day. So welcome everyone. Thank you for joining Helping Show. And this show is really a perfect show for every person who need a health or who need to listen about the health. Thank you, Marlene. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm going to introduce you now in a second, but I just want to remind everybody, this is your show. We are here to learn and grow together. So we have a chat. Feel free to put your name underneath the video nickname, whatever you like, and sign into the chat. You can comment from there. You can ask questions from there. We'd love to have you. You can also call in, if you like, to 919-518-9773. That will get you right into the studio, and you can ask your questions from there and comment as well. And also, you can come in on uh, Skype, and that would be voice, not video, so don't worry. Computers, 2K Voice is our name. Join us, please. We'd love to have you and hear what you have to say. So with that, I'm going to uh, say good morning, hello, and good afternoon to Chanel from Africa, and she will introduce our guest. Chanel. Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to the Health and Show again. Uh, glad to have you. Um, I have the great honor today of introducing our two magnificent guests. We have with us today Dr. Caleb Jacobson. He hails currently from Germany. Um, he is an internationally recognized clinical psychologist, sex therapist, and Bible scholar. There are, there are more there, don't worry, there are more. He has been featured in Cosmo, The Huffington Post, GQ, and many more. 
His books are used at world-renowned universities such as Harvard, Yale, and Tel Aviv University. He is also the host of he was also the host of the number one podcast, the Sex Therapy Podcast from 2020 to 2022. And just this January has hosted Uncomplicated Sex with All While Being the President of a Not-for-Profit Educational Institution Dedicated to the Advancement of Sexual Health, the School of Sex Therapy. I, sorry, I couldn't read my own writing there. Um, and I also have the amazing opportunity of welcoming back um, Dr. Bathsheba Marcus. Um, she has spent her life helping women reclaim their pleasure and their bodies and spirit. Um, she is a certified sex therapist and author. She served as the clinical director of one of the largest sexual health centers in the United States for over 25 years. Uh, Dr. Marcus earned a master's in public health, as well as a PhD in human sexu sexuality. She has lectured internationally on women's issues and has been a guest on numerous radio and TV shows, including CNBC, CBS News, NPR, and Huffington Post Live. Welcome to both of you and happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. So great to be here. Yes. It's very exciting. And, and of course, we've had uh, Bacheva on before, but Dr. J, we haven't. So I'm going to suggest to everyone, we're going to talk about all kinds of things, but we will also, um, we also have posted our previous interview with um, uh, Bacheva. So you are welcome to go back and look at some of the things that we've discussed before, because we may talk about some of the same things and we may talk about a lot of different things. We don't know what we're going to talk about, but here we go, right? So, and, and, and I want to invite you both to talk to each other as well, Dr. Jay and Bacheva. Don't wait for us to even engage. If you know something about each other and the work you're doing that we may not know, please ask the other person because we know you both know each other very, very well. Does that we sound good? We are a team. We are a team and we go live together on social media and it is like two sex therapists walk into a bar. It's like listening to behind the scenes talk. It's awesome. So, you know, we, we so love it. Where, where do we start? Where should we start? What, you, want, you want to start with why is sex important? Especially yes, yeah, I, love that. I, love that I think I'm going to toss that one over to my buddy, Caleb, Dr. J. You want to start with why is sex important? Sure. So I think sex is important for a number of reasons, right? Like sex is, let's in the, in the context of a relationship, Sex is really important because it allows you to connect with your partner intimately, uh, emotionally, psychologically. It's also a great time to have fun in your relationship. So, you know, a lot of times if we're in a long-term relationship, things can become kind of stressful, right? Like we can argue, we can have these little spats. Sex is a great time to kind of like put these things aside, to have fun, to remember why you're there together. Also a time for couples who have been together for a while to continuously to learn and explore each other's bodies, their each other's interests, so it's very good. Individually, sex is also very important, right? It's how we understand our bodies, how our bodies function, realizing that our bodies give us pleasure. It helps us to increase our self-esteem. So I think sex is very important for an overall holistic perspective of how we view ourselves, how we view the world that we live in, and how we interact with other people. Yeah, I mean, I think it's amazing. I think 
uh, I would just say sometimes I think of dessert as the sex of the dessert in the marriage, right? Like it's the, it should be the yummy part. And, um, you know, I, I have so many clients who will say to me something like, Bacheba, if, if, you know, I come in and his socks are on the floor and we haven't had sex in a while, I want to take those socks and I want to stuff them down his throat. But if we've had good sex recently, I just laugh and I throw them in a hamper. So I think we really get the sense that sex can really be a lovely, lovely bridge between people and, you know, working out all the problems with the sex life is something that is really important. I have one question and then by all means, uh, Deepak, Chanel, and Amnon, who is our producer, not on camera. I mean, you have a standing invitation to, to talk. So we've talked, to, you know, in the past about women and sexuality. So now we have an opportunity to add to that conversation about men. And one of the things I've always heard, and now I am 69, so it's been a long time since I've heard this, is that men are, you know, more sexual or want more sex than women. Now, I don't know if that's true, um, but I don't, but what do you have to say about that, Dr. J? So I, I, that's a stereotype that's very common. That's a, something a lot of people hear. It may surprise your listeners and maybe even surprise you. I would say a lot of times when I work with couples who are experiencing a mismatched desire or a desire discrepancy, where one partner wants more sex than the other, a lot of times it's also the guy who doesn't want as much sex as the female partner. It's very common, right? I think that this stereotype is very problematic two ways. One, it really impacts a man's sense of self-worth and his masculinity by thinking, oh, something has to be wrong with me. I don't want sex that often. I think it's also very damaging to the female partner as well, because it takes away a woman's autonomy over her sexuality and her willingness to be, or, or in her position as being a sexual being by saying, oh, you want more sex in your partner. Something has to be wrong with you. No, it just means you're a live, vibrant, healthy person who enjoys something. That's all it means. And so I think that stereotype impacts both sexes and genders in a very negative way. I'm going to add something to that is a problem with that stereotype, Caleb. I, I think everything you're saying is so powerful and so true. I think for this situation, when I see couples where the woman wants more sex than the man, it feels in a weird way worse because we live in a society where it's, of course, the man's going to want more sex. When I see a couple where the man wants more sex than the woman, it's sort of, oh, well, you know, that's how men are and that's how women are. She doesn't want sex. He doesn't want sex. There are problems. We've got to fix it. But it's sort of like, okay, when the situation was reversed and the woman feels like she wants more sex than the husband, all of a sudden, everybody starts feeling horrible about themselves, right? Like there's something deeply wrong with him for wanting less sex and also with her for not being enticing enough because if she was enticing enough, then of course her husband would want to have sex all the time because he's male. So it is, you know, just so much more like difficult, like it's so weird to watch that, like how in addition to the dynamic of one wanting more sex, you've got all of these like social things coming on that make it just like struggle for the woman. Like what is wrong with me that I'm with a guy who's supposed to want to have sex all the time and something clearly wrong with me that he doesn't. So I think that myth is just so harmful in so many ways. You said that. Chanel, Deepak, if you have a question. Yeah. Uh, yes, Dr. Jacob, uh, this is a wonderful session. 
and uh, I tell you that health in is worldwide show and every country is watching. So in India, the open sex is, is still not uh, legalized. So here is the age for the male is 21 and for the female is 18. So many teenagers are come uh, to our clinic because I am a medical practitioner and um, said that, uh, doctor, what is actually the normal age to start the sex? Because as uh, you can fix the 18 or 21 in the humans. So what, what you should tell about this? What are the actual ways to start? So this is a fun question, actually, um, because clients often come with the same issue when they have guilt and shame about sex. And, you know, maybe one of their partners says something like, oh, they're they're promiscuous. They had sex at 13 or they had sex at 14. Right. Like and, and there is that stereotype where, you know, the earlier a person has sex must mean something's wrong with them or for some reason they're, they they crave sex more than their partner. Right. This is very this is negative as well. Of course, it does really depend on state to state. For some reason in the U.S., particularly, certain states think that certain ages are more appropriate for sexual interaction than others. This is a very difficult question. Uh, I mean, I mean, if we look at it from a historical perspective, uh, you know, women usually engaged in sexual interactions as soon as they begin menstruating. So this could be 13, 14 years old. Where in certain societies now, this would be completely illegal behavior, right? So it's hard to give a definitive answer on this question. I think what's more important when it comes to a person engaging in sex, regardless of their age, is that they are informed and they feel comfortable in engaging in that activity. It wasn't something they were forced to do or felt that they needed to do it because society says they need to do it but that they made that decision because it was something that they want to do, that they felt pleasure in doing it and that they enjoy doing it. And they did it in a way that they don't have any regrets about it themselves. Okay, thank you. And the next question is because uh, I, Chanel and Dr. Shakshi already did a show on uh, sex education. And in our country, uh, sex education is not uh, actually very open. Many doctors are hesitated to uh, teach about the sex education, but how much is the importance of the sex education? Because how you can do good sex, because you cannot do a sex by seeing a pornography or by not a, a book. So how can uh, we teach or uh, is there any your program where you teach uh, about this sex education? So it's, it's interesting you say this because I see a lot of clients, y'all mentioned that there are people viewing from all over the world and I'm fortunate in my practice, I see clients everywhere from, from Australia, places in the Middle East, all over. And it's often, doesn't matter where they're from, often part of the work that I do is providing psychosexual education so that the client understands how their body works and functions sexually. Because even in places where there are sex education, the sex education is so bad, it isn't really applicable. And you're right. Many people then turn to like pornography, what they see in pornography. But pornography may be great sex entertainment. It's terrible sex education. But it is sex education for many people, right? So they come in with these 
conceptions of sex and how sex works and how their body should work and how their partner should respond. And then they're often disappointed or unhappy with the result. So I think sex education is extremely important um, in helping, helping people to understand their body, to understand its functioning so that they can be more informed and make better decisions about their sexual interactions with themselves and with other people. Can I add to this? I'd like to add um, that I often will be speaking to parents groups because I think all of us, many of us are uncomfortable talking about sex in a way that we may not be always open to admitting to ourselves. And so we kind of like to leave the sex education up to the schools and real sex education, real solid, correct education has to start from home, right? It has to start when the kids are really young and it has to be a part of their day-to-day activities. So like I'll say to people, you wouldn't think of sitting your child down when they were 12 years old and giving them a lecture about nutrition and expecting that to be the way they handle the rest of their life. You wouldn't then talk macronutrients, micronutrients, and calories, and then say, okay, we had our conversation, we're done. Or you wouldn't expect school to do it, right? You know that when you're shopping, when you're cooking dinner, when you're talking to your child about food, when you're picking snacks with the child, all of that is like seeping into their knowledge about nutrition. And the same thing should be true about sex. As you're talking about their body parts, as you're talking about their growth and their development, as they make comments about people at school, as they're reading the Bible, as they're watching television, all of those things can be a a springboard for parents to talk about sex education. It is so critical. The difference between somebody's sex life when they've had good sex education and crappy sex education is a world of difference. I'd like to comment on that, if that's okay. Yeah. I, think I, is, yeah. I think Betcheva is, is right on the mark in that good sex education always does begin at home. And there is a clear indication, with, or it's clearly marked with clients where they've come from homes that are more open about talking about sex, that there is a much lower level of shame and guilt associated with sex. And it doesn't really matter how conservative of a culture they come from. You know, I often say that religion gets the blame for all of our sex and guilt around shame. But I've worked with plenty of people who have come, who have been very religious, who have come from homes where they do have very strict boundaries around sex. But in that, in that environment of the home, they're very open about talking about it and discussing it. And for these people, those boundaries aren't negative, but they can be very empowering for them. So they don't have the same level of guilt and shame that people who don't have these discussions have, uh, end up feeling. Thank you. Uh, so Shannon, uh, if you want to uh, ask any question, or otherwise I will ask a few more questions. Because uh, I am a medical practitioner, and when, when a person is uh, going to do a sex, what cannot do? They go to the masturbation, either for in the male or either in the female. And many teenagers or many persons uh, came in my clinic uh, for the masturbation habits, and they really want to know how much is that normal, and how should avoid these type of uh, activities. Uh, like many patients are not uh, want to actually doing a masturbation, but they instead, they, their hormone are instituted that you are doing. So what about that? For both of you, please. Uh, so you want me to quickly start? I'm sure you have much to say about this, right? Please, so go ahead. 
you know, look, I think anybody in the medical professional sexual health field understands how important masturbation is, right? It's the best way. And I don't even like calling it masturbation. I like calling it solo sex. I think it's the best way for a person to understand what feels good, what turns them on, and it allows them to move into a relationship with somebody else if they choose to in a way where they can be very clear about what works for them, what makes them happy, what turns them on. So I think that's really, really important. And I feel like in terms of quantity of sex, you know, I, I always feel like therapists are always saying, well, whatever works for you is fine. And I think that that's 100% true. But I, the parameters I usually say with masturbation, and that usually reduces the anxiety is if it's not getting in the way of the rest of your life, it's not a problem. I'm dying to hear what Caleb has to say about this. But if it's not getting in the way of your regular life, it's not a problem. If it's not getting in the way of your relationship, your work, the amount of times you want to have sex with your partner, then it is not a problem. That's number one. Number two, how you masturbate in the however weird, and we, I'm sure we all have like spooky stories, is also not a problem as long as it doesn't get in the way of your sexual relationship. So if the way, for example, a woman has learned how to have an orgasm, and I have this all the time with my women clients, they're totally embarrassed about the fact that they have an orgasm on their stomach. They feel like they're the only ones in the whole world, even though by my non-scientific you know, scientific data, it's about 30% for my clients. They feel like somehow that's shameful because in the movies and the books, everybody's women are always having, having orgasms on their back. And so I'll say to them, however you have an orgasm is just fine. It's just that if it gets in the way of having sex the way you want to with your partner, then we've got to explore how to shift things around to make it work. And um, so I, I feel like that is, you know, I could go on and on about this, but I'm sure Caleb has amazing things to say. So I will now shut up. No, I, 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 think, I think that's really good. I, what I would say is the commonality of that question always makes me laugh because it really doesn't matter where at every university I've ever lectured in, throughout Europe, throughout Israel, throughout the US, wherever I go, students always come up to me afterwards with this question of, I think I'm masturbating too much. Like, am I, how much is too much to masturbate? Uh, it is that common. I, I, I've never left a place without being asked that question. I can confidently say that. And, you know, I always joke and kind of say, well, the fact that you were able to attend this meeting or to attend this lecture probably means you're doing okay. Um, again, Batsheva is very correct in that uh, as long as masturbation does not impact or interfere with their relationships um, and their sexual relationships with their partner, then there's nothing wrong with the masturbation at all. Um, I would say that for men, something that is very common, and I often think that when we talk about masturbation, we are really bringing in porn into the conversation since a lot of folks use pornography when they're masturbating. And that creates a whole nother uh, dimension to this dialogue. But a lot of men who are masturbating multiple times a day, who then say they experience some type of sexual dysfunction with their partner, whether it's ED or delayed ejaculation, it's usually not because of the material or because of them masturbating per se, but the way they're masturbating. So a lot of them won't be using lubrication, or if they are masturbating that many times a day, they're often using a tighter grip in order to trap blood into the penis so that they can force an erection. And unfortunately, it doesn't matter how great your partner is in bed, uh, but when you have an extremely tight grip and no lubrication, 
it's a completely different sensation than, than a vagina. And so they have problems to perform sexually with their partners. But there are easy things we can do to help a man who is experiencing this that they can still masturbate, just we alter the way that they're doing it. Great, thank you. And so I, I will, I, I will I, say I, this too, if I can. Yeah. If, if I knew at 13 that I would spend my life going around talking about masturbation, I would have graduated high school early, okay? <laughs> yeah, and I wanted to add here that what's amusing to me is that this question of am I masturbating too much, I will get way, way, way more from the boys than I will from the girls. Like if anything, the girls are not masturbating as much as maybe would be helpful to them. But that is, and the boys are getting this dual message of you should be masturbating, but maybe you shouldn't be masturbating too much. So I'm, you know, yeah. Yes, because because I am working on PCO, PCO, the polycystic ovarian disease and infertility since 2008. So I have many patients with this problem and uh, I studied that about 10 to 12% of the infertility cases are just due to the heavy masturbation because they are not doing the physical sex. So how- From the male partner, Deepak, from the male partner, 10% is from, yes. yeah, the not because the, the female is masturbating too much, right? Maximum from the male partners because they are not satisfied and there are no discharge without the masturbation. So at about 10 to 12% are cases there just because uh, the fertility is not uh, here, just because of the male masturbation habit. So um, I suggest everyone to please do not masturbate very heavily or for a long year. Just uh, you, you can control in between and you have to force to stop uh, at any of the time. Like if you are doing two times a day, then you can stop for the one time or for the one day or two, two days. You should have the power of this. So thank you so much, Shinel. Yeah. Your so I, the, I guess the question that I have is from what we were just talking about in terms of um, masturbating too much or too little, or I think it kind of brings us right back to the conversation we had last time about communication and um, the same thing with watching porn or hiding masturbation, not, as you said, if you're the, the kind of doing it too much or doing it too little has a lot to do with your partner. And if you're not communicating or you feel uncomfortable talking about the fact that you are masturbating or you maybe aren't being sexually satisfied when you're having intercourse or, and is it a good place to start possibly with talking about masturbation, talking about what you are interested in, in terms of sex and what makes you feel good and masturbating together. I don't know if we talk about this enough because there, it is a great way to feel good, to still make your partner feel good without penetrative sex. And um, maybe that, is that the way that you have, start having the conversation about masturbation and really figuring out what your partner enjoys? Sheva, would you like to begin? Um, sure. I'm always happy to say that we have 
totally screwed up when we start equating, when we like intercourse and sex are not synonymous. They are not. So when you say two people masturbating together, in my mind, that's sex, right? As long as there's two people in the room, not even one person in the room who's enjoying their body, trying to get turned on, trying to go for that orgasm, like that's all right. That is sex. And the idea that intercourse is somehow the be all and end all of sex is so unhelpful, specifically to the women, but I think in a lot of ways to the men as well. So I, I need I need to kind of start with that. And this idea of communicating is so central, Chanel. You're right. Like if if couples can't communicate about what they want, it changes the entire tenor of the sexual relationship. And you know, I often will say when I'm doing sex education classes, you know, if you can't talk about it, you shouldn't be doing it. I say that to 17-year-olds and I say that to 70-year-olds, right? Like if you can't talk about it, because that's how you get yourself into a bad spot if you can't talk about it at all. So I'm not sure that I would open the conversation with masturbation because that feels super duper vulnerable and personal for people. But opening the conversation is absolutely 100% critical. And I have so many things to say, but I'm going to stop right now and turn it over to my buddy, Caleb. Well, I, I do agree that this idea that masturbation is a lesser form of sex is really problematic, okay? For some people, regardless of their sexual orientation or their gender, they don't, for whatever reason, intercourse is not their favorite part of sex. They might like oral stimulation. They might like manual stimulation. So it's problematic when we like classify these things as different levels of sexual interaction. It's really whatever the person finds the most enjoyable, I think, is important. And that can be a conversation when couples are discovering what each of them like and dislike sexually in the confounds of that relationship. However, I kind of disagree with the premise of the question what about masturbation too much or too little um, has to do with the partner. I would say that masturbation has nothing to do with the partner whatsoever. It has everything to do with the individual and it's an individual's sexual interaction with themselves. So for example, uh, when someone is in a relationship or not in a relationship, they still have a sexual relationship with their body. That relationship is still there. And even in a relationship, they still have that relationship with themselves. And so it's important for people to understand, and this is where the problem does come in that we see in therapy and why some of these misconceptions are there, is because when people do come into therapy, there are these notions of, well, my partner must not be interested in me because I see them masturbating instead of me fulfilling their needs. Well, to me, that's not a problem with masturbation. That's a problem with self-esteem or other other um, delinquencies in the relationship that are causing these feelings of low self-esteem. If porn is involved, it's quite often that I've had, you know, women clients who have said, you know, I don't really, I don't really look like these women in these films. And if this is what he's turned on by, that I'm, he must not be turned on by me. So again, we are seeing that there are some self-esteem issues that could very well um, be a cause of some discrepancies in the relationship. Perhaps the male partner needs to be more affirming to his female partner in the way that she looks and what he thinks about her appearance or uh, ways that he makes her feel more special and loved in that relationship. Um, 
But even in those instances, there's a big difference between sexual interaction with the partner and sexual interaction with oneself. Uh, with a partner, there are things you need to worry about, right? Like you need to worry about their satisfaction, the fact that they're enjoying it. You need to be vulnerable with another person. You need to be able to give yourself to that person in a way that sometimes you might be too tired, too stressed out, not comfortable. There might be arguments. You might not feel safe and, and able to do that in those moments. Whereas with self-pleasure, uh, this is an instance where a person is able to meet their needs in a way that they can fantasize and forget about the stress and realities of the world that they live in and enjoy pleasure. Um, you know, if, if a person is using pornographic material or if they're using fantasy, unlike with a person, you know, you don't have to worry about getting them turned on and making sure they're feeling good. You can do what you need to do. Stop, pause, fast forward, rewind, do what you need to, to meet your needs. Um, and, but that does not mean that that's better either, right? Like I often hear males complain about their female partner's vibrator. And I always say, well, you know, she can't really cuddle with the vibrator afterwards. Uh, you know, these are things that are needed. So there are benefits and drawbacks to each of them, but they're both equally important to the way that we understand our bodies and we understand our partners. I've got some questions, but I don't want to dominate. So I'm going to put it back to Chanel for a minute. Do you have another question? Because you came into the... Um, I, it's kind of a general question. In a practice, what is your... And I know I feel like I'm going to get the depth here as I ask this question. What is your easiest couple fix? Where, where is the easiest place to start? No, it's not easy. <laughs> Betsheva, would you like to begin? Are you, I just want to make sure I understand the question, Chanel. When I have a couple who's got a problem going on in general, obviously this is very generalized. Do I have, what are my quick fixes? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Okay, perfect. Okay, that's what I thought you were asking. Okay, so I'm going to put number one front and center scheduling sex. 100%. I agree with Batsheva. We're on the same really? page here. Okay. So, and I get, and I get, often get pushback from people like, that doesn't sound very sexy, Batsheva. And I'm like, no, it's not sexy. Not having sex. That's right. All right. So, um, so, you know, I actually even go further with certain couples because depending on what's going on and I schedule sex and I schedule not sex. Right. So that when I have couples that have discrepancies and like the woman's feeling really guilty, like, you know, she's got this clock in her head all the time. Oh, it's been, you know, he wants to have sex and it's been 20 minutes, you know, it's been two days, it's been a week, it's been 10 days. So when I have those discrepancies, it's just as important to schedule the time on and the time off. But for many, many couples, the bottom line is they need to understand that like everything else that's important in your life sex has to be scheduled in. And if you don't, it will fall by the wayside. You're busy. You both have careers. There are children floating around. Or, you know, even if you're by yourself, you're busy. You have a career. You have a million other responsibilities of things you're taking care of. To make the time to have pleasure in your life or to connect with your partner is something you absolutely have to put on the schedule. And so, um, and people think that is so, I don't know, prosaic. They think of it as so unsexy. They, and I'm going to tell you, and I will tell you, every couple I have ever met who has a long-term, ongoing, great sex life, or even a good sex life, 
they'll say, oh, I don't schedule sex. And I will say, okay, well then just let me know, like, how do you, when do you have sex? And they will say something like, oh, just like every weekend, usually on the weekend, or, you know, sometimes on the weekend and like Wednesdays, Thursdays, or, or, you know, well, I don't know. We don't usually let four or five days go by without it. And so they are scheduling it. They're just soft scheduling it. And I think that we as sex therapists often have to work with people to get comfortable with the idea that you may have to start with a hard schedule to get to a soft schedule. Kayla, take it away. Yeah. So I, I just want to, I just want to piggyback off of that in that so many people have this like notion, right? Like that, that if we schedule sex, it's not sexy. I like spontaneous sex. And I always push back on that. Like is sex ever spontaneous? Like when you were in your first, when you first got into this relationship and became sexual, you may not have had a discussion about it, but you did set a date night. You might have gone to the local spa and had body hair ripped out in the most painful way possible. You might have, you know, put on, you've showered, you've shaved, you put on your finest pair of underwear just in case, right? Like, so there was always this expectancy that something could be happening. It wasn't like you were just waiting there in your sweatpants on the couch and all of a sudden somebody busted down the door and they're like, we're going to have sex right now. That's called rape. We're not talking about that. We are talking about an expectation of engaging in interaction. Bachev is very right. The most unsexy thing is not having sex and scheduling sex is so important for so many couples to get in the rhythm once again very hard for couples who have been in relationships for a long time, right? Like they get out of that rhythm by scheduling sex and, and you can make the scheduling sexy. We can add sexy elements to it, right? Whether it's giving your partner little messages or sending them sexy texts about, I can't wait for you to get home. You can make all of this sexy and arousing and fun and bring back spontaneity into your interaction with your partner. And this is key, especially when we talk about overall relational health, which sex is just one aspect of that. And I think, I mean, I'll add to that because I think what you both said is really important. And I didn't even think about it until just this moment. Valentine's Day for very, very many people is scheduled sexy time. I don't, maybe it only happens once a year, but people waited for this day. Um, to be wine and dine or go out or just have a night in or, but this is a scheduled sexual day for people. So it can't be that bad to schedule some time with your partner or by yourself. And, and let me say I, this. Oh. <laughs> go ahead. Go. You want to go or you want to go bad, Java? <laughs> I'm going to add, let's, let me just add something very short, which, maybe we can make Valentine's a reset day also. Like think of Valentine's not just a day to have sex, but a day to actually start a conversation about your sex life and sort of get your sex life back on a good track. So I would say that as Chanel said, yes, this is the time, you know, usually anniversary and Valentine's. It's going to be two days. We're at least going to have sex, right? Um, and those are days that people actually look forward to. So let's talk about scheduling sex. We're looking forward to the sex that we have. It's not a chore. A lot of times I think when people think about scheduling, they think about work, right? Like think about like this, this dredge this, that, that we have to do this, this drudgery. Um, but, and I also agree with Beth Jeff, it's a good time to kind of like reset 
It's a great time to add in sex toys. So this is a great gift to give to your partner on Valentine's Day. So for people who are listening and it's not too late, it's a good time to head over to the store to bring home something for your partner tonight to introduce into y'all's lovemaking, which may create a little bit more excitement, which may also increase a little bit of longevity and having more sex. You know, I'm laughing to myself. I mean, this, I have so many questions, but I, I, it's, you're, the conversation is so good. I keep passing on my question. But um, so those toys, I would imagine age appropriate. <laughs> like what would you, right? You know what I mean? Like what, what would you tell, you know, a, is it, is, is the sex toy for a 25 year old the same thing as a sex toy for moi? Yeah. So I, okay. I, I, I mean, I'll turn this over to Beth Sheva in a minute, but I will tell you, I, uh, I mean, I, I give out sex toys pretty regularly. Like, you know, people come over, people come over for Shabbos and leave with toys. Uh, I, I, I'm a big advocate for something like the womanizer, which provides clitoral stimulation. They look like this here. Okay. So this is a wonderful thing that, just provides clitoral stimulation. What The reason I, I pick a, a product like this is because whether you're 20 or, you know, older, uh, when you see a product like this, one, it isn't what you traditionally think of as a sex toy, right? It comes in very beautiful packaging. The item itself is very beautiful and sleek looking, right? It's not very offensive. So it doesn't matter how conservative or non-conservative a person may be. Um, and so this is a great product that a person can use and not feel so shame or feel taboo around sex toys. And since the majority of women do orgasm through clitoral stimulation, um, it focuses on that. Can I ask you a quick little question? Like, what made you get involved in this, Dr. J? And uh, yeah. what is the connection between sex, mm-hmm. sexual health, intimacy, intimacy, I would like to say, and your work with um, the Bible? So I, if we back up, I wanted to be a Bible scholar. My parents said no, that there's no money in being a Bible scholar. If you want to study the Bible, you also need to study something else. Um, as I was studying jointly both fields, I then had some, uh, my first internship was with the Army Substance Abuse Program. And my mother, she was a forensic nurse. So she mostly worked with people who had experienced some type of sexual assault and, and, and worked in that arena. So I had, was working with the Army Substance Abuse Program. And there's a lot of sexual assault that takes place there too, right? A lot of times when substance or abuse or substance are included, There are also links to sexual dysfunction. There's also a linkage to making very poor choices about our sexual interactions as well. So I was getting a lot of questions about a lot of things I didn't have the answers to. And so I then kind of moved into sexual health at that point. How it relates to the Bible, believe it or not, just about everybody in the Bible had sex, okay? That's a beautiful thing. People have always had sex which is part of the reason why we're here today. Uh, A lot of my work really involves understanding um, sexual interaction in the ancient Near East and understanding how sexual functionings and cognitions around sex were held by people during that time and 
how they differ from our current position. I incorporate this a lot into my therapeutic practice as well, because I work with a lot of religious clients. I work with a lot of Jewish, Christian, and Muslim clients who come and, you know, there's, there are prohibitions in, in biblical texts around sex, but I think it's important to help a client reach, uh, to reach some type of congruency between their behavior and their religious beliefs to help them to understand why those beliefs are there in the first place so they can make more informed decisions as well. So I do a lot of work between both of those. I chaired a workshop or the European Association of Biblical Studies on sex, sexuality, and gender in the Bible, and have done quite a lot of work in that arena as well. I'm a little speechless on that because you know, there's so many places to take that. Like I could take it you know, out far. Um, it, it's, so with, were we healthier back in the days of the Bible than we are now sexually, or what? Well, I don't know what you mean by healthier. Like, did did we have more sex then, or are we are we are we more conf- are we more confused now? I mean, the fact that we have so many choices and options is that clouded things. And then I did want to talk about shame, and so you did bring it up. Yeah. So you know, my research shows that there is a current misconception about female sexual autonomy, and I believe that women in the ancient Near East did have more sexual autonomy than we give them credit for, um, which, I mean, if we, if we really, if we wanted to spend the next hour talking about the history of sex, I would argue that a lot of the, the lack of female sexual autonomy has very little to do with Judaism or the ancient Near East, has a lot more to do with Christianity, particularly the influence and the intersection between Christianity and Victorianism. I wrote about this in my book, Abrahamic Faiths, Perspectives on Gender Identity and Sexuality, uh, and the spread of Victorianism by missionaries, um, which really prohibited and, and limited people's sexual autonomy, right? If you can control someone sexually, you can control everything about them, right? When we're sexually aligned, we're not easily contained. And so it's very prudent if you want to control people to control their sexual function and their sexual abilities. Um, so we see that. Now, when you talk about health, I, I do want to distinguish that I, I don't think boundaries around sex are a bad thing. I don't. So we talk about biblical prohibitions. We would say maybe boundaries around sex. I don't think boundaries are bad. I think boundaries are really healthy. We want boundaries in every relationship in our life, boundaries with our partner, boundaries with our parents, boundaries with our coworkers. You would not like to be in the bathroom and somebody just bird barges in and starts looking over the stall, talking to you at work. You probably would feel very violated by this. You wouldn't enjoy it. You want them to stay outside the door, wait till you finish, wash your hands, go out. Um, So boundaries are important. Um, It's the way that communities use these boundaries to control, manipulate, and abuse people that becomes the issue. And that's often where the guilt and shame come in. We do a lot of that around the focus of sexuality and sex. I don't even know what, what, where, what question to even begin with or comment because there's so much I, 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 that's happening today on so many levels. I mean, and, and it's, I mean, global. So, Acheva, did you have something to add to that? Uh, 
Caleb left me speechless as he sometimes does, which was great because I think that's the beautifully articulated. I would love, Caleb, can you give us some examples? Because I think it would be so helpful because I love, love that construct. The idea that the boundaries are so important and we're all aware that the boundaries are so important, but that way the community uses the boundaries that create the shame and the problems. And I just think it would be really helpful for people to have like an example or two. Sure. So- can I just say something that's really important? And I appreciate that because sometimes, sometimes people, get, there's a misconception of structure. Structure is not to put somebody in a box. A lot of times structure helps us be freer, right? Than if we have no structure. So I love that part. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that in. Okay. I'm going to be quiet now and let you talk. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about something like virginity, right? Like virginity is a social construct um, that is often connected with religious communities. And if this comes from text in uh, Devarim in, in Deuteronomy 22, uh, where it's really talking about a bride who's being married and then the partner accuses her of not being a virgin. Now, I argue in an upcoming book that a lot of this social construct has to do with the importance of understanding who the father of the possible child of that woman is not so much for, in the ancient world. You had no birth control test. You had no identity. Like you could not do a DNA test to determine who the father was. Okay. And that was very important for a lot of things in the ancient world, including inheritance. Okay. This was very, very important. And it was essential even. Okay. So I do a lot of work talking about that. Now, how does that apply to a person living today? Now, am I telling everyone that you, you know, should have sex? And it, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be a virgin when you get married. No, for some people, abstinence until marriage is very empowering. Okay. They love the fact that they don't have to worry about, um, possible issue. And I know this gets in, and especially in sex therapy, they don't like to hear this discussion, right? But there are, there are possible issues that could arise from having multiple sexual partners. There's a higher risk of STIs. Okay. If, if I'm waiting till I'm married, I don't have to worry about any of those. And for some people that's empowering. I don't have to worry about, um, you know, having to find someone to hook up with and, dealing with those interactions with another person like this, that's very empowering for some people as well. So it could be very empowering for a person not to engage in sex until they're married. Now, there are a lot of people who do engage in sex before they're married, and they don't have problems with any of those issues. They're okay. They understand the risk, and they're okay understanding that they are at a higher risk of STIs. They understand that they need to navigate through some of these relational issues that could arise, and they're fine with that. And so they make an informed decision. The problem here then is with a religious community that sometimes in a community, they could use that area to really shame, guilt, and hurt an individual. So let's say there is a girl who... I'm just throwing theoretical numbers here, but let's say you have an 18-year-old girl. She goes off to college. She engages in intercourse with a partner for the first time. People in her religious community find out, so they ostracize her. This is very damaging to the person. 
I've worked with Christian clients where, you know, no one in the church was allowed to talk to them. They had to sit on the back pew of the church. So they lose all of their connection, all of their community. And this is spiritual abuse, okay? There's this fear of condemnation. There's this fear of hell. And there's social ostracizing that's taking place. Um, it's interesting. I cannot tell you the number of clients who have come to me, particularly from Christian backgrounds who have often said that, you know, there's more forgiveness if I killed a person than it is if I had sex with someone without being married, or if I am gay and I have sex with a man, right? Like that, that's a far greater punishment than if I hurt someone. And so this is just an example of how we can use these prohibitions and boundaries to control, manipulate, and hurt people. You know, this conversation, we have to keep going. I mean, we're almost out of time, but there is such great material here to explore. And I would just say that, you know, you know, having seen the connection that you have, that you make with the, I mean, what better resource and proof of what we do than the Bible? I mean, it, it, you know, I mean, to, to back up any conversation, to say, this is how, this is where we started. This is how it was. It's okay, you know? Um, and I do, you know, I, 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 there was a book I mentioned, I don't know if I mentioned that the last time that we actually, I read years ago, Kosher Sex. By Rabbi Baudet. Baudet. Yeah. I mean, what a great common sense and it, I mean, it doesn't, you don't have to be like Jewish and kosher to read it. It's just, just the information was, you know, still impactful. And I read it years ago. So, I mean, there's so many directions, but I do want you to say about your book again, or books or work so people can find you. So the book that I mentioned is called Abrahamic Faith Perspectives on Gender Identity and Sexuality. There is another book that is coming out this year called Archaeology, the Bible and Sex. Um, and there's another book coming out this year for therapists called Sex Therapy with Religious Clients Working with Jewish, Christian and Muslim Communities. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I feel like this, you know, the, the laggard here because I only have one book out and it's way less intellectual. But my book is called Satisfaction Guaranteed, How to Have the Sex You've Always Wanted. And it's got the very practical application for women and the people who love women um, for how to address the issues in your sex life. Um, but I think in terms of the sex education that both Caleb and I are doing, a lot of it's happening now on social media, you know. Um, so I can be found at Dr. Bacheva either on TikTok or Instagram. And Caleb. Yeah, mine's. I'm so boring. It's just Dr. Caleb Jacobson. Everything I have, it's the same thing. I'm not very creative or cool. I promise you, he is not boring. I promise you, he is not boring. Are you on, Dr. J, are you on TikTok and Instagram as well or not? Yeah, I'm on all these things. I don't know what I'm doing on them, but I'm there. I'm still not sure about this idea of being followed. I don't really know if I want people following me. That sounds makes me nervous. Like you hear people following. Somebody's following. What are they following me for? But yes, you can follow me at Dr. Caleb Jacobson. I, I, can I just say something? I have very often I'll get stopped, usually by Jewish people, because a lot of my followers are Jews or Orthodox Jews, not all of them, many of them. I was at the Central Florida Zoo last weekend. And I was with friends and I asked some guy who lives there, not 
did not, not one of the tribe, if he would take our photo. And he said, sure. And by the way, I follow you. And I was like, huh, that is fascinating. So there you go. You, you touch at sex education, all parts of the world. And it's just nice to know there are actually people out there listening. And I think it's got, given us an unprecedented ability to actually get real information out there as opposed to porn. In fact, uh, tonight, um, I'm helping to launch a podcast for, for youth and teens and young adults. And I am going to, if, if either, you know, both of you, either one of you are interested, because I want them to be able to talk about anything they want to talk about, including this, right? So maybe at some point, you'll let these kids interview you, if you're, if you're willing yeah, I think we need, I mean, I want them to be able to hear what's, because you said, and which I loved, I wasn't taught about sex growing up. We didn't talk about it. And I think that there's a lot of problems with our generations, our older women and men, because we didn't talk about it. And I think that's a big problem. And I would love these kids to be able to talk about anything for a preventative especially for preventative measures against substance use issues and going off and suicide. I mean, we're, it's just, I think this is the connection you make, the relationships are so incredibly important. And this is so incredibly important to feel good about yourself. So I'm so thankful that you both came. Chanel, you have anything to sum up with? Deepak, anything? Um, yeah, I actually... Um, I, to what um, Dr. Caleb said about um, kind of Christianity and its influence on our view and thoughts about sexuality, um, it's important that when we, we read text, any text, we, we should know where its influence comes from. And I think it's also very important to note that in homeopathy, Samuel Hahnemann was a very devout Christian. So when we look at the text and it talks about excessive masturbation or excessive sexual partners, then we need to really read it from the perspective of a Christian man from the 1800s collecting information. And from that point of view, we can make better diagnostic, not necessarily diagnostic, but we can make better decisions about remedy decisions and not base them on information that is kind of wrapped up in something that may not necessarily be what that thing is, if that makes sense. That's a great um, statement. Important. Yes. That's a great statement. Well said. Well said, Chanel. And yes, really, homeopathy is really wonderful science, Dr. Shilev and Desheva. Uh, uh, it's an individualized sign. In uh, sexuality, we found that every symptom is changed. Like uh, whenever a person is doing masturbation, and after that, um, he's feeling guilty. Then the medicine is different. And he, if he is feeling pleasure, the medicine is different. The excess masturbation has a different kind of medicine. And the, for the abnormal sexuality, the homeopathy is the best, which connect your physical symptoms with the mental state. So, well said, Dr. Chanel, and Dr. Henneman was already done a lot of work on this sexuality. That is uh, also a wonderful show. Uh, 
Dr. Shilev and Beth Shivak. This is wonderful to know about you, yourself. And please use homeopathy if you can find a good homeopath near to you or you can associate your any homeopath with your society. Dr. J, do you have any closing remarks? Any final message? You can take control of your sex life. Your sex life is important for you. I'm going to start where, where Caleb, I'm going to end where Caleb started, which is your sex life is important to you as an individual. It's important to you as a couple or, you know, whatever situation you are and you can take control of it and you can make it terrific. Caleb? Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's just important that sex isn't something that we're necessarily ashamed of. Um, that doesn't mean guilt and shame is bad around sex, right? Like if we, we might feel guilt that we break our sexual values. If we go against our own sexual values, we should feel guilty. If we cause harm to someone and we use someone for our own sexual fulfillment, we should feel shame around that, right? Like, so that's okay. But at the same time, it is okay for us to express ourselves sexually because we are sexual beings and we can find fulfillment and happiness in our sexual relationships with our partner. And that is really a worthwhile endeavor to do, to try to make that connection with our partner and to deepen those relationships. Thank you for that because we need to get the permission. Thank you for having us. Oh, it's the pleasure. Chanel, any final anythings? Um, thank you all. Happy Valentine's Day. I just want to say one quick word. We've got some great events coming up this for the rest of this month. So please head over to our website, homeopathyworldcommunity.com um, and check out. We have a great uh, practitioner homeopathic pharmacy course starting on the 18th. So make sure that you register as soon as possible. And we have a book club. There's so much going on. Go to the website, check it out. Thank you, Dr. Caleb and Dr. Batshiva for being with us today. It was such an amazing show. I never wanted it to end. Um, we could talk about this all the time. I think we definitely need to have you back sometime soon. Um, thank you, Marilyn and Dr. Deepa. Um, again, happy Valentine's Day. Yes, happy Valentine's Day. When the book comes out, let us know for sure. This, we, we can help. So with that, everyone, Thank you so very much for joining us today. And we'll be back next month, uh, the second Tuesday in the month. And then I mentioned um, a podcast uh, we're launching this evening at six o'clock right here at Nissan Communications in, in their eyes, from their eyes, I think it's called. And uh, we have two really cool young men as our hosts. I'll be on the, I'll be in the back, in the back watching and listening. So with that, thank you all so much. I'm none. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Thank you, and thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. tuned to the Nissan Communications Network. If you tuned in too late, you can always watch each program in its entirety or download an MP3 audio file of it in the archives section at nissancommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on Twitter, and like us on Facebook. Sponsored by StreamingGear.com, Carolina Apparel, 
and DeltaForce.net.